So here we are. It's the last day of 2017, and it has definitely been quite the year. Um, you know, I was thinking about this this past week and uh, about where we've come as a church, and, and it's weird because, like, we're no longer, like, the new church in the city I- anymore. Um, we've spent the past seven years building and growing as a church, and now it's kind of like we're entering into a new season. And I know that last year, for a lot of us, it came with a lot of change. I know uh, for me personally and for the staff here, it was a really rough year for us. And I know that for some of you, just the the things that I've experienced and witnessed, um, it's been a rough year for you you as well. Um, But there's something about the new year where there's an opportunity for us as a church to look inward and take some inventory. And it's an opportunity for us to come before the Lord and say, God, what new thing do you want to do in us as we enter into a new year? And so if you look at this past year, where we're coming from, um, think about the things that haven't really worked for us spiritually. Think about the things that have. Uh, we have an opportunity to come before God and say, you know, what is it that you want to do in our lives moving forward? Are there, th- are there things that we need to let go of? <clears throat> what, what has to change in our life in order to receive what God has in store? So really my hope for this morning is that together, we can look um, to the promise and hope of all that God, <clears throat> excuse me, of all that God has for us in this next season as we prepare for the new year. Is that cool? Yeah. Awesome. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles or in your devices, uh, we're going to actually be reading out of Mark this morning, uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 18 through 22. And if you don't have a Bible, um, we have some usher or an usher that will be bringing uh, one around if you need one. Um, the words will also be on the screen behind me, so you can follow along that way as well. So again, that's Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. And it reads, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No they pour new wine into new wineskins. Lord God, I just, <clears throat> as we kind of approach uh, the end of a year, Lord God, and we start to reflect and think about like where we have felt your presence in this last year and where we haven't, God, we wanna submit all of ourselves to you this morning. We wanna receive um, all that you have um, in store for us. And uh, so, God, I, get, I pray that you give us the courage to look in order to take that inventory. And, um, yeah, we give ourselves to you in this message. God, I just want to confess that my, my thoughts are limited, my words are limited, but, God, I also confess that you are unlimited. So where my words and thoughts fall short, God, I pray that you would fill in the rest. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my sermon today is called A Time for Change. New wine requires new wineskins. And this sermon is a message about change. 
And I think that if we're actually all honest with ourselves, we would, we would admit that change is something that we all want, but some of us, we don't like it. And that's why every year around this time of the year that we make these things that we call New Year's resolutions. And sooner or later, we're like just completely over it. Come March, April, May, our resolutions are just a distant memory. And as a side note, I'm actually curious if like people still make resolutions. Is anybody in here making? Just a few, some of you? Okay, cool. Well, I definitely don't want to discourage you. Good luck. I'm sure, I'm sure that it'll work out great. But, um, but New Year's resolutions are hard. You know, they're hard because change is hard. You know, we struggle with change um, because it's unfamiliar, it's uncomfortable, and it's disruptive. And so as we press into the sermon today, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about how change happens, how we respond to change, and our hope for change. So again, that's, I want to talk about how change happens, how we respond to change, and our hope for change. So let's talk about how change happens. So in this interchange that we just read, we see two different ways in which change happens. The Pharisees represent one way of change, and Jesus represents another. And for one way, change is achieved purely by works. The other way, change is received by taking in the life of Jesus. The Pharisees represent change from the outside in, and Jesus represents change from the inside out. And for the Pharisees, uh, ch change was, was achieved by their actions and their efforts. It was achieved by the ritual of like washing their hands. It was achieved by fasting twice a week. And it was achieved by their outward expression uh, of prayer that was put on display for everyone to see. So when Jesus comes, the long-awaited Messiah, he, he comes bringing an entirely different approach to change a new way uh, to change that he referred to as new wine. And, and new wine requires new wineskins. This was a completely new and different approach to change. And this new and different approach uh, to religion um, required something completely new to contain it. What Jesus was bringing completely disrupted the religious elite. The Pharisees, the Pharisees made change all about rituals. They made change about the efforts and, and by, by things that they actually do. And I actually think that we ourselves are more like Pharisees than we realize. As Christ, follow, as Christ followers, we actually call ourselves good Christians. And, and good Christians, uh, you know, we measure that by like if we read our Bible every day or if we go to church every Sunday or if we pray for, for every meal or maybe even by if we're tithing to the church or donating to good causes. All of these things we, we call good um, and are based on our acts and efforts if we actually do something. And don't get me wrong, I mean, obviously these are, these are all great things and these are things certainly that we ought to be doing as Christians, but my question is, is what happens when we're not doing these things? We think we, we really don't see ourselves as good Christians because we measure our goodness or our righteousness based on our works or our acts. But our, right, our righteousness is not based on something that we do, but something that has been done for us by Jesus Christ. It is based on his righteousness. 
when Jesus renews us, we grow in our desire to do the things that we ought to be doing as Christians. We are righteous because of Jesus, because of the new life that he gives us. Our rituals do not make us righteous. Jesus does. Our piety as Christians is not found in the rituals. It's found in Jesus. And Jesus came to bring something entirely new, and it's not based on a rigid, legalistic, rule-based approach to change. The change that Jesus brought, it didn't, it didn't fit into the mold of the Pharisees. The new way that Jesus uh, brought needs to, to fit into an entirely new mold. Now, all of our lives, uh, all of our lives, everyone in here has a mold that we've grown used to. This mold has been stretched and shaped by the ways uh, of the world and the things around us. It creates a, a lifestyle with patterns that, that, that we grow accustomed to. And when we meet and embrace Jesus, he actually desires to pour his life into ours. But what happens is that when we try to add Jesus and fit him into our mold, a mold that was created and shaped by, by the life and world around us, we realize that really quickly that it just, it just doesn't fit. And I remember in my own personal story, um, shortly after I gave to my life, you know, I still try to live life with like one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And, and I tried to pour uh, Jesus into uh, the mold of my old life. And this was a life that I was really trying to hang on to. And I realized after a while that something wasn't working. Now, initially, I don't think that I, I fully understood why it wasn't working. Uh, I just knew that I was trying to live based on old patterns in lifestyles, but there was something at odds in my spirit. And then Jesus finally opened up my eyes to it. The mold of my old life was at odds with the new wine that Jesus wanted to pour in my life. Things that were once okay for me to do, they no longer worked. They weren't okay for me to do anymore. I had to make the decision to completely let go of my old life and give God full authority over all of my life so that he could do a renewing work in me. And this was definitely a process. It didn't happen overnight. So sometimes when Jesus comes into our lives, we think that we can uh, just fit Jesus into, into uh, our old mold. Um, but what we, find, what we find is that it just doesn't work. It's kind of like trying to fit a square peg into a circular hold, hole. Our old mold, our old way of living is not compatible with the new life that he brings. Our old mold needs to be made new so that it can contain the new life that Jesus has to offer us. He has to repurpose our old mold and reshape our old mold to hold and contain all the new things that he wants to do. And when that process of renewal starts, again, it never stops. And to this day, God is still actually renewing the mold of my life so that it can contain all the things that he wants to do season by season. And I want to share with you just a story about um, the recent story about how God uh, is renewing and has been renewing the mold of my life. So today actually marks um, roughly two years since I transitioned out of a 15 plus year career in biotechnology and started working in ministry full time. And if I had to create a, a list of major changes in my life, it would go something like this. It would go like being born. That's, 
pretty big turning point in my life. <laughs> then it would go uh, getting married, and then it would go having kids, and then right next underneath that would be like transitioning out of biotech going into ministry. <laughs> you know, it's definitely up there as one of the biggest changes I've experienced in my life. And, and it's been great, but I'm just gonna be 100% real with you guys. <laughs> it's been really hard, really hard. And it's been hard for a lot of different reasons. Um, coming into ministry, I found myself having to like relearn things all over again. There were patterns and ways that worked for me in my corporate world that just were not gonna translate uh, into ministry. My pie charts and Excel spreadsheets, they weren't gonna translate fully into ministry. The pace, the pace of my biotech job was just much different than the pace of ministry. The emotional capacity that's required in ministry was way different than, than the emotional capacity that's required in biotechnology. And there were a lot of areas in my life where I, I almost had to like go back to the drawing board. And Jesus had to show me like a new way to work. The new wine of Jesus was not going to fit into old wineskins of my previous ways. He had to do something new in me. He had to make new wineskins that would actually hold the capacity of what he wants to do. Because when Jesus brings renewal into your life, you may have to relearn some things all over again. You have to learn how to do relationships again. Maybe that means you have to create like new boundaries where you didn't have boundaries before. Or maybe um, you'll have to relearn how to love again. Maybe you realize that the way that you used to love was really dysfunctional and the Lord has to teach you really healthy ways to love again. Or maybe you have to learn how to forgive again. Or maybe you have to learn how to, how to have grace again. And sometimes, sometimes you actually have to learn how to do religion again. And there are things that we need to relearn because Jesus is reteaching us life. He's reteaching us life in the kingdom. And my old mold uh, was the way that I used to work in my previous career. For me to transition into ministry required Jesus to create an entirely new mold, an entirely new approach to work. And here's the interesting thing. Some of the skills and different things that I've learned over the past 15 years, like the business practices and stuff like that, I actually still use them to this day, but I just use them in a different way. So let's talk about our response to change. Now, one of our, our natural responses to change is fear. In Matthew uh, chapter 2, um, this actually is really appropriately shown uh, when, when Herod uh, talks about Herod's response to the news of the newborn king of the Jews. It reads, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judea territory, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Change brings fear because it's an upset to the balance of power. For us, it's the same in our own lives. And we, we fear change because it's something that can't be controlled. So I wanted to um, share, share a quick story. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I, we were, we were talking and reflecting on like just past New Year's and stuff. And um, some of you remember, but about eight years ago, there was this thing called Y2K. 
Like some of you might be too young to remember, or you were little or whatever, but, uh, but it was a pretty big deal back then. You know, it had to do with like, um, it had to do with like a, a computer, how computers, tr how computer systems track dates. You know, it didn't, they didn't use the four uh, digit date number. They used just the two digit, the last two digits of the date number. And so what that meant is that when we went from 1999 to 2000, a computer wasn't gonna be able to tell whether it was 2000 or 1900 because of the last two digits. Freaked everybody out. Like there was a real fear of like catastrophic consequence, like, like it was gonna be like Armageddon or the end of times and people were like filling up their bathtubs with water and they were like, buy, like going to the hardware store and buying duct tape and I'm not really sure what duct tape would do in Armageddon but for some reason, it's like in case of emergency they always tell you go get duct tape, right? Um, you know, but there, was a, but there was a really legitimate fear because like all of the, the, the air traffic control systems, utilities, you know, they, they didn't know if like planes were going to start dropping out of the sky or if like electricity like, you know, would stop working or, you know, the water would go bad or whatever. And, um, you know, everything, everyone thought that the, the, uh, the world was going to come to end. And someone, I actually have a little show and tell today, someone actually gave me a Y2K Bible. <laughs> and I guess... I guess it was like just in case like my other Bibles would stop working or something. <laughs> but um, I, you can't, probably can't see, oh yeah, they put a picture up. I asked them to put a, this picture up, it's funny. Like the front of it says uh, Y2K, uh, to the year 2000, hope for a new millennium. <laughs> and then on the back, if you read it, it's in this like, in this, like apocalyptic font. It says, countdown to year 2000, what to do? Will there be a worldwide crisis? Will technology fail? Are these the end of times? Just, I mean, it's really amazing. It really is amazing what the fear of change creates in us. We go into this internal uh, panic mode uh, when, when change is outside of our control. And this kind of fear is disruptive and it can, and can draw a lot of different responses out of us. Because change sometimes feels scary. And there's something about change that always feels uncomfortable. And that discomfort uh, comes in many shapes and forms. And I want to talk about the uncomfortable change that can come in the form of the fermentation process of Jesus in our lives. Now, our lives, uh, Jesus refers to as new wineskins. And Jesus desires to pour his new wine into our lives. And, and what I want to do is just kind of think about that process for a minute. Like we all understand wine, but the idea of wineskins is, is probably not as familiar. Because today we see wine stored in barrels, we see it stored in, in bottles or uh, boxes or maybe even cans, um, but we don't typically see wine stored in skins. Although I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like brings that back, you know, like. Um, but in Jesus' day, skins of animals were used to store liquids like wine. And when that wine would ferment, it would create gases that would, would stretch and shape and mold and grow the skins to capacity. And this is a similar process that what happens as to what happens when Jesus pours new wine into our vessels. It stretches us, it shapes us, it grows us, and it molds us. But for his work to be accomplished, we need renewal. It's his renewal process in our lives that creates and maintains the capacity for us to hold all the things that he has in store. And if you try to use old wineskins for new wine, 
During that fermentation process, the expansion of the gases would actually burst the old wineskins. You really couldn't use old skins for the new wine because they would have already been stretched to capacity. And Jesus tells us that pouring new wine into old wineskins ruins both the, the, the old wineskins and the new wines. And again, similarly, when Jesus is poured into, poured, uh, into, into our new lives, his fermentation process will expand us. His fermentation process will stretch us and it will grow us to capacity. We need to be made new into new vessels that can hold and contain his new life. Our old life, our old way of living, is just not compatible with the new way that Jesus brings. Our old ways cannot contain the new life that Jesus has for us. We need to be made into new vessels, new wineskins, that can contain the new life that Jesus has for us. Now, that fermentation process can feel really uncomfortable at times. You know, as we're molded and as we're stretched by what he's doing in our lives. But it's the, whole, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings renewal into our vessels so that we can hold the capacity of the change that Jesus desires to do in our lives. The capacity to hold the kind of change that Jesus wants to bring in our lives can only happen by taking in his life and by living, living by his life not by creating our own standards of good based on what we do in, le- in living a legalistic lifestyle. So let's talk about our hope for change. Our hope for change can only be found in Jesus. He is the one who makes us into new wineskins so that we can hold the new life that he has in store for us. And the beauty of it is that we just need to be open to it. We need to say yes to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will begin a work of renewal and make our vessels new so it can hold all the good things that, have, that God has for us. Jesus takes the, the, the mold of our old life and he renews it. He creates a new mold that can contain all that he has to offer. His desire is to take the old and replace it with the new, and that new never grows old. Isaiah 61, 3 says, He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. This is the hope of change that can only be found in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you um, for uh, your faithfulness, Lord. For everything that we've been through this year, as hard as it's been, God, you have been there. You're still here. And God, as we, as we um, turn the corner, as we sit at the doorstep of a new year, God, I pray um, that you would make us into new wineskins, that we would be um, open to... Um, your work in our lives, your process, your fermentation process in our lives, Lord. We want to grab a hold of of the new things that you have for us, God. So help us to let go of the old and embrace the new. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.